Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. In this episode of Pilates Elephants, we're going to talk about Pilates for athletes. Is it a thing or is it just pixie dust and made up bullshit? There are three elephants and one of them is not an elephant. So come join us and find out what the truth and what's the pixie dust. Hey, Chloe. Hey, Raph. How are you going? I'm freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think um, that the... You saying you're awesome could also be like a push-up contest as well. I feel like it's almost as is it, is it as frequent as I say cage line. Yeah, There's probably. two push-ups. I think yeah. uh, you know, and that's people are getting their push-ups I out think, of the way. I think we need to probably watch. Podcast. Otherwise, we need to. Um, <laughs> I think we maybe should one should be a pull-up. You know, because we want to develop. Uh, okay. We want to have an evenly developed musculature around the shoulder girdle. So okay. Yeah, I think maybe a push-up every time we say cage line, <laughs> and a pull-up every time I say awesome. <laughs> I would love to be able to do a pull-up. Well, I'm pretty awesome too. I, yeah, I I didn't have the best night's sleep last night, um, which is so funny considering the diploma (laughs) diploma lecture all week has been about sleep. And it was interesting too because I could totally, after attending your diploma lecture on sleep, I could pinpoint why I was having a shitty night's sleep. And then that kind of made me... (laughs) Even like more annoyed. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, this is so obvious. Uh, but yeah, now I'm, it's sunny and beautiful and there's coffee and mm. good chats. So yeah. Doesn't get much better. So I am once again awesome. Mm. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about today, Raph? Pilates for athletes. Mm. And what's the, what's the elephant, elephant in the room, elephant in the Pilates room here? Huh. Well, I'd say there are a couple of elephants. Um, one is that you, core strengthening is important for athletic performance. Mm-hmm. Another one is that you can get better at moving heavy things really fast, in other words, being athletic, by moving light loads really slowly. So yeah, when you say <laughs> when you pointed out like that, I'm like, oh, is there going to be <laughs> what's that? What's that saying when you say if you can't be bothered reading TLDR. something too long? Yeah, too long didn't read. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. And um, before we dive into that, uh, should we should we delve into what's in Chloe's DMs? Segment? Sure. I always love that segment. Yeah. Uh, do I get my sound, my intro? Uh, is it Was it a sad intro it was or is no. it applause? Uh, applause, definitely. So sort of like I <laughs> say, so say, lead in again to say, hey, here's Chloe's DMs. Here's Chloe's DMs. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to bring up my DMs uh, and we've got, um, and again, please keep sending them. 
we love getting them. Like I love getting your getting your messages, whether it's simply feedback on the on the podcast or a question. Um, so please keep them coming, and uh, and while you're at it, head to five star review and leave yeah, us leave Apple, us some words. Apple Podcasts app. Yeah. So this uh, is a cool question, and it comes from. Uh, Rachel, so Rachel wrote, could you guys do an episode? Well, I think we might be able to answer this one in shorter than an episode. That's what I'm hoping. Um, if, uh, why Pilates? If in many studies cited on the podcast, and I like she wrote pod, that's cool, on the pod, any exercise helps, then why Pilates? Hmm. Do you want to answer this one? Yeah, you know what? I actually, it's funny. I feel like I answered this question recently on another podcast uh, when I was a guest on the wonderful uh, Sume Physios podcast. And she she's the same because she gets a lot as a physio uh, and, I, and I know that a lot of Pilates instructors, probably all Pilates instructors out there listening, will have the client that's come to them because they're being told it will cure their back pain, right? They've been told by either a GP or an allied health professional or Google or a loved one or the partner or the... Yeah, right? You've got to go do Pilates. You know, you've got a weak core, therefore, or you've got inactive glutes. Go to Pilates. It'll sort all that out. It'll sort your alignment out. And I'm doing that in air quotes, everyone. Please, please. Um, but it's a common misconception, right? So they think that they specifically need Pilates. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to necessarily enjoy doing Pilates. That doesn't mean they're going to necessarily want to keep engaged, like keep going to Pilates. So my simple answer was, do Pilates if you like doing Pilates. Like, like really, it's it's if you like it. And and this narrative that you should do Pilates because it's going to somehow. And I hate I hate the word fix, but I feel like that's the mentality out there a little bit. The misconception, um, and that it's got some special magic powers in regards to back pain or any pain really. We absolutely, you know, you, she's totally correct in saying it doesn't and and all the literature backs that up. Um, but what we do know is that movement of any sort and exercise of any sort is fantastic for everyone for a myriad of reasons, not just those experiencing pain. Um, but we also know that you're more likely to stick to something if you enjoy doing it. So I was very clear on that podcast. I said, if you want to do Pilates, do Pilates. But if you'd prefer to go for a run, go for a run. If you'd prefer to lift heavy weights, lift heavy weights. If you prefer to skip on a trampoline, if you like do the thing that you love doing. Uh, yeah. I personally have always loved Pilates and I was one of those people that got into it uh, because my physio used it as part of rehab when I had a sore back. Little did I know back then that he could have also just asked me to go for a walk or, you know, go for a swim or do whatever, but it was Pilates. And, you know, I just, I, you know, ended up falling in love with Pilates. But that became less about, it's not even really how it makes my body feel, to be honest, because um, my body feels great if I go for a run. My body feels great if I, any form of exercise. For me, it's just, I find it interesting. Like, I really, really love it every time I get on the reformer. I'm it's it. I'm in my flow state when I'm on the mat. It's flow state. I I find it 
engaging and fun and interesting. Uh, so that's why I do Pilates. So if, it, if it's going to engage someone, and by engage, I don't mean engage their muscles. I mean engage them in movement, you know, get them excited about moving their body, then awesome. So that would be my answer. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I just want to add a little bit to that, which is that I think, you know, when, when as an instructor, as you sort of come to grips with this, ev- the evidence base around exercise and pain, and you start to realize, oh, holy shit, it truly fucking doesn't matter what you do. Like <laughs> everything works just the same as everything else. And then for many people, it, that precipitates a little bit of an existential crisis. Like, well, fuck, what's the good of me then? You know, like if, if literally anything is going to work, like if you could literally go for a walk, do gardening, play badminton, do heavy deadlifting, do gymnastics, swimming, tai chi, if literally anything works then what the fuck are we doing? You know, like, why, what am I charging you a hundred bucks for then? <laughs> um, Therapeutic alliance, um, social interaction, uh, flow state. I love Heath, Heath, wonderful Heath Lander. Um, I'd pay a hundred bucks for Heath. I'd, I'd pay 200 bucks for Heath, Raph. Gosh, come 210. on. <laughs> 500. <laughs> Final offer, Heath. Um <laughs> Heath refers when him and I obviously have like so he's one of our incredible trainers and him and I have had hours upon hours upon hours of conversations about well what is Pilates like what is Pilates what does it mean to us it's kind of what we talk about a lot and probably more than we should admit to how much we talk about it and Heath describes and I love this he describes Pilates as a moving meditation Mm. you know so I think it is what it is for the individual as is any movement it's an individual experience and just because any form of exercise is just as good as the other if we're talking about things like pain injury etc well doesn't devalue what we've got what we've got to offer no I mean you could equally say well any form of cuisine is just as good as the other so why Thai food it's yeah. like, well, if you like Thai food, Thai food, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's why. Yeah. That there doesn't have to be another reason. Yeah, you know. And I just around this conversation off, I would also say that as Pilates instructors, um, and we do know that you know when you've got a client that freaking loves Pilates, like just totally is obsessed with Pilates, like I was that client. I at that point then refused to do any other sort of exercise. I remember saying that to Stella. No, 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 I only do Pilates. I do it five times a week. I only do Pilates. I don't do anything else. All I need is Pilates. Eh, I've grown a little since then and actually, no, it's not all I need. I do still need my cardio. I probably do still need to lift heavier things, yeah, depending on what sort of Pilates I'm doing. But, you know, let's be honest. So I think it, it is important that we do also inform our clients of a well-rounded exercise regime eg go out and get your get your cardio in as well mm. and i think just to round this out you could equally say you know, think about this flip it and say well if everything works the same as everything well why physio you know why personal training why weightlifting why walking why yoga it's like yeah just for the same reason as pilates right none of them are any more special either like mm. it's this applies to everything so do pilates if you like thai food you know that's it do Pilates if you like Thai food. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, that's All right. <laughs> quote so us on that one. <laughs> now we've disposed of that topic. Um, 
let's turn our <laughs> let's turn our attention to the next topic of the day. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So so I I, I actually the the athlete um, who goes to Pilates to help with their performance. This is actually an interesting one because I've noticed there's been quite a growth in this realm of you know, the last couple of years um, and that's, I, you know, seeing things like athletes doing Pilates, you know, and you'll see, you know, an Instagram clip, doing clip it. of it. Yeah, I, I trained a couple of the – when I was in Sydney, I had a couple of the um, swans who used to come – so the football players who used to come um, to Reforma because they were told to by their coach, something about glutes, something about <laughs> – Core. core. Glute something, something, so core, something, 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 that posture, was the, something, that something. was literally, I, I would say, and, and these are one-on-ones, and I'd say, okay, what would you like to work on today? I've been told I need to work on my glutes, they're not firing, and my core. I'm like, okay, we can do plenty of glutes and core. <laughs> sure, it's Pilates. <laughs> I've got a reformer here. Let's go. Let's let's do 50 million scooters and, you know, long stretches and get rid of the spring. Um, and tick, tick, I'm ticking the but, but it's like, is that genuinely helping that player's performance? No. Okay. End of podcast. <laughs> Play the outro now. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's, that was a quick one. I think, awesome. <laughs> I think we can go a little bit more into it. And there's actually a surprise non-elephant oh. in the room here, which oh. we can reveal a bit later. A, non-ele- yeah. a non-elephant. Yeah. So um, I, I think the thing that kind of piques my interest about this is I uh, is I see a lot of kind of workshops or things online for advertised online for things like you know Pilates for golf or Pilates for dancers or Pilates for oh the Pilates for golf or, and all the movements you do is yeah. to replicate golf, golf but you're doing it with like it's like a draw the, the sword strap yeah, yeah. yeah or Pilates for triathletes and it's all about rolling out your IT band. Yeah, right. Pilates uh, for runners? Yeah, Pilates for runners. I guess that would be a lot of rolling out the IT band as well, maybe some front bits and legs and straps We've done – we we have a podcast episode where we talked about the science behind rolling out ITB. Yeah, so I don't want to get into that here. But um, um, so I think there's – there are a couple of – a couple of elephants there. One is that, you know, kind of core strength uh, is is an important – is important for athletic performance. And so that if we spend, you know, we spend an hour in the Pilates session or two hours a week doing Pilates, working on core strength every week, that is going to be a worthwhile investment in terms of return on investment being improved performance, right? Bearing in mind that that two hours, well, what's the alternative? We could spend it on something else. We could spend it in the gym or we could spend it doing technique practice or we could spend it recovering, you know. Um, and and so, what would be the best use of that two hours? Uh, and so, that's one thing. You know, that core strength is is important for athletic performance. It's important enough that we should invest in it. And the the next one is that is this question kind of muscle imbalances. Mm. You know that which we hear about a lot, where it's not so much necessarily about improving performance for athletes, but like for instance, athletes as we know have a lot of imbalances, right? So if you're a athlete who does a one-sided sport like tennis or shot put or javelin or fencing or something like that, where it's, you're, you're predominantly working with one side of your body, you're gonna have imbalances. Like the the throwing arm on a shot putter is gonna be way stronger than the non-throwing arm, even if they do lots of gym work, working on both arms and all of that. It's just their work. They're doing like ten thousand shots a month or whatever they're doing. It's like you're gonna get stronger on that arm. 
Um, and that's the same for, for most, you know, unilateral athletes and probably the same for most bilateral athletes. Like I know that I remember me reading that Usain Bolt uh, takes different length strides with each leg um, when he sprints. Yeah, right. You know, so presumably there's either some combination of different range of motion or different amounts of power, um, you know, in in each of his legs there. But doesn't seem to be harming his performance any. But uh, so I think the main kind of thinking around this or the main elephant around this is that, you know, correcting muscle imbalances will reduce injury risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we look at people's, you know, their left leg versus their right leg, their left scapula versus their right scapula, whatever. Um, try and correct those imbalances. Um, and uh, the 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 um, the third one, I think, which is one I mentioned at the top, is that we can practice these athletic movements. You know, like you said with the golf, right? So if we if we kneel sideways on a reformer with a half spring on and hold the strap and and twist our torso really slowly, right? That's going to make us better at hitting a golf ball. And that is, I mean, I'm sorry, that's just BS. But we'll talk about why that's why that's not true. But um, yeah. So one of those, one of these, is not an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> Which one is not an elephant? Well, you have to listen into the rest of the show and find out. Okay, okay. I'm listening. All right. So, um, all right. So let's talk about the one that's obviously an elephant first, right? Which is the last one, which and which is basically the idea that you can get better at lifting heavy things really quickly, right? Or whether the heavy thing is your own body weight, you're sprinting or whatever, right? Even in golf, where you're not lifting something heavy, you're moving really quickly. Yeah. It's speed, right? The speed of the club. Yeah. And and you can get better at doing that by lifting really heavy, really light things really slowly, right? Which is what Pilates is. Um, and that is, I mean, hopefully if you're listening to this, you're already just thinking, well, that just plain doesn't make sense, right? Because in exercise science, we have like a couple of foundational principles that are like the thir- the first thing you learn on day one <laughs> of your exercise science degree, right? Is the principle of specificity. Mm. And what the principle of specificity says is exactly what you train is exactly what you get better at doing. So if you wanted to be really good at hitting a golf ball into a little hole 400 yards away, practice hitting a golf ball into a little hole 400 yards away. And and focus focus on the hole because that will be Correct. your your external focus. Right. Yeah. And and so pretty much anything you do that is not exactly that is going to be less effective, right? And so if you think about okay, practice hitting a golf ball into a hole 200 yards away. Well, that's not exactly the same skill. Practice hitting a tennis ball into a hole 400 yards away. That's not exactly the same skill. You know, practice practice playing croquet. Well, that's not exactly the same skill. You know, mini golf, not the same skill. You know, and so, of course, there's some, some degree of transfer between those skills, right? So if you're amazing at mini golf, you're probably better at regular golf than someone who's never played mini golf or regular golf, right? But if you spend 100 hours practicing mini golf, Compared to someone who spent a hundred hours practicing real golf, you won't be as good at real golf, right? And I'm saying real golf because I don't know what the what a prop, you know mini golf's real golf too, but it's like you know what I'm talking about, like golf on a golf course. So yeah, the principle of specificity says that whatever you practice is exactly what you get good at, right? And so when you're kneeling on a reformer with a half spring pulling on a strap and you're doing a torso rotation, right? Well, there is something about that that is similar to a golf swing in that there's a torso rotation, right? 
And there are about 6,000 things that are not the same as a golf swing. You're on a moving platform. You're kneeling. You're working against a spring resistance. You don't have the inertia of the club. You're not using a club. You've got a strap. You're not hitting a golf ball. The, the range of motion is different. You're not, there's no motor skill involved in placing the golf ball in a hole. Like, it's starting to sound more <laughs> and more outrageous. And for our listeners out there that are thinking, Ugh, I've done that before. With with the, uh, hey guys, so have I. We so forgive I. you. You're cool. Yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, once you know better, you do better. Yeah. It's 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 like once once you once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> so, is there anything wrong with kneeling on a reformer and twisting with a strap? No, it's awesome. Great work for the external obliques, internal obliques. Fantastic, love it. Mm. But is it going to make you better at golf? Yeah, so I, I, th- I think a no. that's a no. That's a no. Um, and that's just from kind of basic principles. I mean, we know that, you know, so if you think about something other than golf, like a actual, like a more kind of what people would traditionally think of as a more athletic sport, like football or running or jumping or something like that, that involves speed and power, okay? Um, well, to produce high amounts of force, you know, to accelerate your body or a weight or a ball or whatever quickly – you've got to recruit what's called your high threshold motor units. So when in your uh, body, each arm, each leg, each joint, you have several thousand muscle fibers, you know, so we just say in your, in your quadriceps, you know, you might have like 7,000 muscle fibers in each muscle, right? I don't know if that's the exact number, but you know, several thousand, right? Yeah. Um, and each of those muscle fibers is a muscle cell and it runs the whole length of your quadriceps. So it runs from your, the top of your thigh bone down to your, your kneecap right? So there's like a 18 inch long muscle fiber, muscle cell, right? And you've got maybe six or 7,000 of them. Now each, those are arranged in bundles, right? And each bundle is innovated or supplied by one nerve, right? So you have a nerve going to a bundle and there might be a bundle of say 20 fibers, right? And they get one nerve going to that bundle of 20 fibers. And so whenever that nerve fires, all of those 20 fibers are recruited, right? So you can't recruit just one of them. You, you can recruit all of them or none of them, right? And then you've got another bundle of 20, another bundle of 20, another bundle of 20. And then you've got some bigger bundles, bundles of 100, right? And then you've got some bundles of 500. And then you've got a couple of bundles of 1,000, right? And so what happens is they're recruited in size order according to something called Heinemann's size principle, right? So if you're doing something that involves really, really low demands for strength or force, right? Just say you're standing upright with your legs locked, right? Where your quadriceps can basically be relaxed. You don't have to do much, right? But there's some tiny amount of force required, right? Will you recruit the lowest, the smallest bundles, right? The 20 muscle fibers. And they're called the low threshold motor units. Like a motor unit is just all of the 20 fibers plus the nerve, right? So it's that bundle. Um, and you recruit those because they don't, they don't produce much force. So when you don't need much force, you use those, right? And when you need a bit more force, we recruit those plus the next 20, mm-hmm. right? And when you need more force, plus the next 20, gotcha. plus the next 20. And then when you need even more force, you recruit all of the 20s plus 100, right? And when you need more force, all of the 20s and all of the 100s plus a 500, Right. right, and so as you need more and more force, you recruit bigger and bigger and bigger motor units. Uh-huh. Right, and the so the only time that you recruit those one thousand fiber motor units, like the, they're they're like the big ass, really powerful. You know, when you turn that baby on, like you know, that that would be like jumping, right, right, or hopping. You know, things that are very very demanding on that muscle. Does that make Sprinting? sense? 
Sprinting. Yeah. Yeah, sprinting, jumping, a maximal squat, a maximal deadlift, you know, something like yeah. maximal jump, those kinds of things. Um, and so you only ever recruit those high threshold fibres, you know, the 1,000 fibre motor units, right, when you basically get above 85% of your maximum voluntary contraction, right? So 85% of the load that you can lift one time, right? Above that, you're recruiting all of your high threshold fibers, right? And so if you, and and athletic performance depends on those high threshold fibers, right? So like if you want to get good at exploding, you know, in a 20 meter sprint or whatever, you've got to get good at recruiting those high threshold fibers, right? right? And you get good at recruiting those high threshold fibers by, by doing the thing. Recruiting those high threshold fibers. Because I found it uh, really interesting uh, when I was at Greg Lehman's, um, Greg Lehman's course uh, when he was talking about glutes and, you know, how everyone's like, everyone's glutes are inactive, all the glutes, every, all the bums, butts in the world have gone to sleep kind of thing. I think he's got a great blog about that. Have the butt muscles of the world gone silent? To it, <laughs> the yeah. butt muscles of the world gone silent. It's such a good blog. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, what I was a, a bit of an eye-opener for me is he was like, okay, well, if you're walking, it's actually minimal your, glute. Your butt doesn't work, yeah, much. You don't, you know, bum, whatever. Uh, it, if you want maximal glute activity, uh, it's sprinting. Yeah. Sprinting is maximal. Same with hamstrings. I started doing a lot more sprinting after knowing that. I was like, mm. okay, cool. So he's like, literally, if you want to do the best butt workout is to sprint. Well, look at Olympic sprinters. Look at their butts. Yeah. They've all got them. So I started sprinting after that. Effective. Sprint up a hill, even better. Whew. Before we move on, let's take a little break. Hey, Raf here. If you're out there in the world thinking, gee, I'm a pretty awesome Pilates instructor and everyone's telling you you're awesome, but then sometimes a client asks you a question and you think, fuck, I feel like an idiot now because I think, feel like I should know the answer to that, but I don't know the answer to that. So I'm just going to smile and say, why don't you do footwork instead? And um, sometimes you feel like you're faking it and you can't really understand what's going on inside people's bodies, well, come and do a Q&A with me every week. We do a live one and it's called Stop Faking It and Really Know Your Stuff. And it really could should be called Stop Faking It Really Know Your Shit. But um, it's called Stop Faking It Really Know Your Stuff. So that's where you come and ask me questions about anything related to anatomy, biomechanics, why does my shoulder hurt in this exercise, what's this muscle for, anything, whatever. Your client's got this weird medical condition, what is it? You know, whatever questions you've got. Come and ask me. So before the break, we were talking about the butt muscles of the world gone silent and the fact that basically, you know, in athletic performance, it's those high threshold motor units, you know, the big bundles of fast twitch muscle, muscle fibers that you recruit to produce those explosive movements, move heavy objects, whatever. Um, and the only time we recruit those is when we do explosive movements and lift heavy objects because of Heinemann's size principle, which says that we recruit the smallest motor units first and then progressively bigger. And so when we're kneeling on a reformer on a half spring twisting, like we're not recruiting our <laughs> high threshold motor units. And, and uh, you know, when we're, I'm thinking, you know, the good old donkey kick back with one foot in strap on the reformer, we're like, yeah, let's really work out butts here. No. Yeah. You won't, you won't really get a lot of recruitment of high threshold motor units in that. So um, if you want to get good at be moving explosively, you've got to move explosively. Okay, so 
Pilates instructors listening to this are now probably thinking, well, can we recruit those high threshold motor units in a Pilates class? Sure. And if so, how? Jump board. Heavy springs. Single leg. Bam. Oh, dang. My thighs are burning just thinking Mm. about it. Mm. Right. Okay. Um, Heavy scooters. And by no. heavy, define heavy. I'm talking about you have to have your hands on the foot bar, otherwise the reform is going moving across the floor heavy. Okay. Shaman did some of those with us in a masterclass recently yeah. and uh, I had uh, doms in my booty for about 48 yeah. hours afterwards. I'm talking about <laughs> you can only do five reps and then you can't push it out the sixth time heavy, like three to four springs. I was going to yeah. say that's a lot of springs. Yeah. Right. Okay. That that is that is my I'm I'm envisioning my reformer at the moment sliding progressively right, but across that's, that's across athletic conditioning right right athletes need high load high speed practice to yeah. get good at high load high speed movement mm-hmm. like that's that's the principle of specificity mm-hmm. okay so and, cool. and you can you can do that on arms too right you, you, lying on the or kneeling on the carriage pushing like jumping like pushing off the foot bar like and then like a jump board type scenario or you could push off a jump board yeah i reckon it'd be hard to would it not be hard enough to load it enough in that respect though because if you're kneeling on your carriage yeah feet back against the shoulder yeah pads right hands on the jump board let's say yeah i reckon two two and a half springs bam that's pretty heavy and i'm talking about jumping you know like your plyometrics your hands leaving the foot bar and then catching yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm erring away from footbar situation on that heavier. <laughs> Good chance and smack my chin on all the all the more incentive to not smack my chin. Yeah, on the all the more incentive to uh, produce an explosive to land it. Yeah, acceleration <laughs> with your arms. Okay, so we've talked about um, muscle recruitment. Mm. What about core? Because I think the big like, and that was the one I heard apart from glutes. Mm. The other one I predominantly heard from my athletes that were coming in was I need to work on my core. Mm. And a lot of the athletes I worked with as well um, were quite tall. Like I'm talking like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, like tall lads. And they seemed to correlate being tall as well with a weaker core. That that was their narrative. I'm well, not – My guess would be when they do a plank with their five foot one girlfriend – their five foot one girlfriend can go for like four times longer than can they help can. Like them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why? Because of, of having a much shorter lever and yeah. a lower strength to a higher strength to weight ratio. Right, which is what you see in a lot of gymnasts. Gymnasts right. tend to be shorter, as yeah. do most pro surfers. Yes, yes, there are some taller surfers, but the majority of the high performing surfers are actually short. Your Kelly right. Slaters, etc. Mm. Well, in gymnastics, for example, it's all about power to body weight, right? Because you need to yeah. lift your own body. Right, so high strength to weight, high power to weight ratio is going to make you better. So what you need is low weight and high strength, right? So people who are small, that's a prerequisite and and strong is prerequisite for being gymnast. Whereas if you're an Australian rules footballer, you need to jump higher than your opponent to catch the ball. So being tall is selected for. And power to weight ratio is much less important. Um, Yeah. Mm, Okay. Any correlation between a strong core and... Performance, sports right. performance. Well, the, the – And I'm, I'm guessing you maybe you're going to say it depends and maybe it depends on – I'm guessing if you're a gymnast, having a strong whatever we define core as. 
Um, well, the the, Where do we go with this? The, well, the literature that I've looked at um, is uh, there are a couple of systematic reviews, which I'll link to one from 2013, uh, Martus Gallo et al., and one from 2020, um, Olivia Lozano et al., and they both looked at the core, um, core muscle activity during various exercises. And so I think the first thing I want to talk about is well, is Pilates actually the best way to strengthen your core? Could I could I pull us back from that further first and go? Uh, the first thing we talk about is can we can ask what is being defined as core here um, well, before we even so in, go to that? Like, yeah, what are so, we talking about? Um, there, all right. So, in this literature that I want to talk through now, we're talking about they're talking about basically the core being everything from your ribs to your pelvis, right? So it's the rectus abdominis, the six pack muscle, the external and internal obliques the transversus abdominis, the erector spinae, the back extensors, and the lumbar multifidus. So that's basically, that's what they're talking about when they talk about the core. Are they adding in pelvic floor and diaphragm, which um, you often in hear? In this literature, they're not, because okay. uh, this literature is simply looking at um, which are the best exercises for activating the core, right? And so the way that they do that is they stick fine needles into people's rectus abdominis or multifidus or whatever. Fine needles? Yeah, like electrodes, right? And then they, you know, connected by wires to a little voltmeter, right? And then they get them to do various exercises and then they measure how many volts went through the muscle and that tells you how much the muscle was recruited. Oh, I didn't realise that needles were inserted well they they can do it with surface electrodes right but if you want to measure say the internal oblique well it's called the internal Uh oblique right it's under the external oblique so how do you get to it if you put a surface electrode it's just going to pick up the external oblique so you have to stick a needle through the external oblique into the internal oblique to pick up people just happy to put their hand up for these sorts of things sure i'm a second year college student i need 20 bucks you know all the needles sign me up yeah I think I'm just sitting here going, I couldn't think of anything worse than having needles stuck in me and then I need to actually perform exercises. Give me 20 bucks. Mate, you'd have to pay me way more than 20. Yeah. I was already set up and pay 500 for a session with he. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so they, these uh, were a couple of systematic reviews that looked at um, various different types of exercises and, and how much they recruited these muscles. And so obviously when we're checking out, like, is someone recruiting their diaphragm? Well, you can't use a surface electrode for that. And that is, so they usually use ultrasound and same with pelvic floor. Right. Like, so we can't use a surface electrode. We can't really use a needle for either of those. So we have to use ultrasound. All right. And if someone's doing a plank on a fitball with one leg in the air, it's really hard to get an ultrasound machine on them and visualize what their diaphragm's doing. Yeah. Um, so basically this hasn't been studied. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and let alone if they're doing like barbell squats with a hundred kilos on it or, you know, it's like, how do you, do it, check what the pelvic floor is doing. Yeah. Um, so uh, it turns out that – so they basically um, evaluated three different categories of exercise. So like traditional, like, quote, core exercises like, you know, crunches and sit-ups and fitball planks and things like that that you'd get at your personal trainer. And then they looked at sort of like core activation exercises, you know, like, you know, lie on your back, contract your XYZ muscle – don't contract your ABC muscle, that kind of thing. And then they looked at free weight exercises, so barbell squats, you know, lunges, push-ups, uh, dumbbell bench press, things like that. And what they found that was that for the rectus abdominis, you know, the six-pack muscle, for the external oblique and for the erector spinae, um, your back muscles, the highest levels of recruitment were found in free weight exercises. 
So if you wanted, for instance, to strengthen your abs, back squats, heavy back squats are the best. Um, There are a couple of other free weight ones that are pretty good. Um, Anything for the external obliques that involves unilateral movement, so like a, like a, a, a barbell lunge or a kettlebell lunge or a unilateral dumbbell bench press, right? Because the obliques have this rotational function. And so when you're working against rotation, that's when you're you know, really recruiting your obliques. So, you know, we could translate that into uh, Pilates and say, okay, well, kneeling or standing like a punching exercise, you know, with a heavyish spring that, yeah, really working, okay? Or some kind of, um, you know, uh, if you've got some kind of, you know, hand weights or whatever or bands in your studio that you can use with a squat, you know, to load up the squat, okay? Those kinds of things. Um, yeah, so those, that's for rect abdominis, external and anorectal spinae. For, uni, for internal obliques, unilateral exercises like, uh, and the one that they found was highest were two on a fitball. One is a kneeling, uh, sorry, elbow plank on a fitball, lifting one leg, Right. Elbow plank on a fit ball, lifting one leg, holding everything still. Yeah, and uh-huh. that really gets – so basically it's leg pull front, right? Yeah. But on a fit ball. And keeping it still as keeping well. Keeping it still, right? Okay. And that, gave, that gave the maximum recruitment for the internal oblique. Yeah, right. Um, and the other one they found was a Stuart McGill exercise called stirring the pot where basically you keep yeah. both feet on the floor, your elbows are on the fit ball and you kind of circle the fit ball around. He'll own that one, does he? Yeah, it's one of his big three. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure if he made it up, but it's he's kind of. Okay. That's I, I love. I used to um, teach a, a huge back in the day a big mat class, um, and the theme was fitballs. That this this place had enough fitballs for everyone that came to class, which was pretty fun. Uh, and we used to do you that fitball one. wars and things. Yeah, well, we did. You'd, you'd, you'd absolutely, absolutely. I'd do partner work, and they'd be throwing them at each other. It was it was it was one of my favorite classes to teach, and that exercise, the old stir the pot mm-hmm. you can make people cry with that mm-hmm. one it's a it's a great exercise mm-hmm. yeah there you go yeah it's good for internal obliques right um, transverse abdominis uh the the conclusions was there's poor quality and sparse research so we don't know so the 2020 systematic review only found three papers in all of the history of science that have looked at the recruitment of transversus abdominis. But the magic transversus yeah, yeah, abdominis. Ex- yeah. <laughs> what? That have looked at transversus abdominis recruitment in different exercises. For the amount that the transversus abdominis gets spoken about, gets focused on, and importance given it to it in the in the Pilates stratosphere and in the rehab stratosphere, I'm quite shocked by that. Yeah. So there's like you know a hundred thousand million studies on. How do we recruit transverse abdominis lying on our back with an ultrasound on our belly? Right. right? But there's only three studies, according to this 2020 systematic review, right, of how much does transversus abdominis, uh, how much is it recruited in, say, a plank versus a bird dog versus a squat versus a side plank versus a whatever. Wow. Yeah, and the answer is dunno. Wow. Um, So three small studies, not of great quality, um, is all we got. So you know, it's like when you when you're um, a poor uni student and you uh, want to buy yourself some takeaway dinner, and you're looking in your pockets and there's like only a few little copper coins in there, and you're hunting down the back of the couch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, been there. <laughs> that's a, that's about where we're at with the transversus abdominis literature on what wow. exercise is best for activating it. 
Wow. Sparse and poor quality. Um, and when it comes to multifidus, you know, your sort of deep spinal muscle, um, the highest levels of activation were in barbell exercises, prone row with a barbell of 45% of 1RM um, and heavy deadlifts and back squats. Wow. You get the greatest activation of multifidus. So all in all, they basically say, well, if over all taken with all, if you want to like maximize your abdominal and core strength, what you should do is a hell of a lot of heavy free weight exercises and maybe some stir the pot. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about how to strengthen the core. Mm -hmm. So, so if athletes like if athletes are doing like heavy strengthening work for their athlete for their explosive jumping power or whatever that they're developing in their gym in their strength and conditioning program, guess what? They've already ticked their core's this fucking off. strong. They don't need to come yeah. to Pilates specifically <laughs> to strengthen their yeah. core. In fact, it's probably not the best avenue. It's not the best. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're doing more stir the pot. Then, I was going to say, yeah. unless you were coming to my yeah. football class yeah. where we do plenty yeah. of that. Or, you know, leg pull front on a football. Yeah. Now, wow. there, are, there are, you know, there are lots of exercises in Pilates that obviously do recruit those muscles and can work them. But in terms of how, how much they're recruited, how much load is on them, pick up a barbell. Which I find that most athletes are doing yeah. anyway, and regardless when, of which, which – sport they're in. Right. And when I say barbell, it could be a kettlebell, it could be a dumbbell, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Just pick yeah, up yeah. something heavy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And you can probably find ways to do that in a Pilates setting, right? But it's got to be heavy. It's got to be heavy, right? Heavy defined as you can only do like five or 10 reps tops, you know? And so like, all right, think full push-ups on a, on a long stretch on a half spring, right? Or think one-handed push-ups if, if that doesn't seem hard enough for you, right? Think front splits with no springs on. You know, like heavy, mm. <laughs> hard. Mm. Think one-legged scooter with three and a half springs or four springs. I'm going to try that when yeah. I get home. <laughs> well, one-legged scooter would be awesome because it's got that rotational aspect. So you're going to be working your internal and external obliques quite a bit, particularly if you're bracing against the shoulder, against the foot bar or the, the, the jump board, right? There's a real rotational. Love it. Yeah. So can, you know, should does core strength help athletic uh, performance? Well, the answer is marginally. Okay. Um, according to a systematic review and meta-analysis from 2016 called The Role of Trunk Muscle Strength for Physical Fitness and Athletic Performance in Trained Individuals um, by Presky et al. Uh, and what they found was that uh, basically uh, – Oh, and there's another systematic review, sorry, um, from 2012 called The Effects of Isolated and Integrated Core Stability Training on Athletic Performance Measures. And that was Reed et al. And I'll link to all these in the show notes. And basically what both of these have found is that there is a very slight benefit on athletic performance when you do core strengthening exercises. But that the cost-benefit analysis, like the opportunity cost of the time that you spend doing those core strengthening exercises you get a much bigger benefit to athletic performance by just doing sprints or heavy squats in the gym or some other explosive exercise that's more skill practice, you know, something that's more specific to the athletic performance. So that, that marginal advantage though, if we're talking about an elite athlete and where marginal advantages can actually be the decider to whether you win or not, 
are we seeing benefit there? Uh, then, well, so or? What, typically, what these studies—that's a really good question—and typically, what these studies do is they do they split the athletes into two groups, and they say. Group A gets to just do their regular athletic training, right? So that'll be like, you know, two or three strength and conditioning sessions a week, plus their skill practice, plus their match play, right? Then group B gets all of that, plus two hours a week of core strengthening. Right. Um, And then what we find is typically the core strengthening group, you know, 12 weeks later are like, you know, 2% better or 1% better, whatever, at the athletic measures, you know, jump height and sprint times and whatever, okay? But what that... What that tells us is if we do an extra two hours of training, we get a little improvement, right? But what if we spent that same extra two hours practicing sprints, right? Or what if we spent it in the gym doing explosive drop jumps? Or what if we spent it on skill practice and 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 strategy for the game, right? Would that give us a bigger benefit? And based on the principle of specificity, the answer is very likely that, yeah, it would give us a bigger benefit if we spent that time on more specific activities to the sport. Because, they're, they're, you know, when they're studying this, they're not, they're not equating for training volume generally, right? So it's like one group gets their regular training, one group get, the other group gets that plus extra, right? And the extra is core strengthening. But what, if, what I'd like to see would be a study where one group gets the regular training plus two hours of core strengthening, the other group gets their regular training plus two hours of sprinting yeah. or two hours of something else. And there's else, no right? studies like this? How, no. How? how? Why? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> there's so much, you know, in, there's so much money in sport. There's so much everything in sport. I'm surprised that they haven't looked into that yeah. in regards. Just, yeah, mm. poor research design. Interesting. So, okay. um, so yeah, so there is – so what these studies generally find is there's a very – they actually they use the word marginal, right? There's a marginal relationship – between improvements in core strength and improvements in athletic performance. So it's a very, very small relationship, but it seems to be consistent. Um, and so basically, you know, for most sort of high-level athletes, or for basically all athletes, it's probably a better, you know, use of time to spend more time on sport-specific training or explosive high-load training, which is going to improve their explosive high-load performance more so i think you know that's that's a pretty clear finding in the literature um but there is one area where we found a non-elephant i've been waiting for this (laughs) (laughs) non-elephant well before we talk about that let's take a little break i want to just take a moment here and shout out to everyone who's listening because if you're listening you're out you're our people and And we think you're awesome we know you're awesome and if you're out there and you're thinking gee, I wonder what it would be like to to do a class with Chloe or Legendary Shaman or Heath, Heath or, or Belinda or Venus or Rachel or Adam, Adam or all of the above. You know, what would it be like to do a class where movement was fearless and celebrated and affirmed and, you know, that the, you were challenged at your level, whatever your level is, and whatever way you do it is right and good. And where at the end you and, and where you, you do get feedback on your technique and your form. And at the end, we sit down together because everyone in the room is an instructor. Well, it's everyone in the metaphorical room because it's an online class. And we sit around and we talk and we unpack what we did. It's like, here are the layers I used. Here are the cues I used. Here's why I used this prop. Here's why I didn't use that prop or whatever. Here's why I made this spring choice. And you get to ask questions and you basically get to hang out with other people who are also your people. 
That's called a masterclass, and we do them. How many have we got a week? Like 10 or something like that? At least. Yeah, at least. And we record them all too, don't we? Mm-hmm. And so we've got a freaking massive library of recorded ones. You know, you can do beginners ones, mat ones, reformer ones, prenatal ones, freaking original contrology ones, made up crazy shit ones. Whatever like, you can think of. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's animal crawls, there's... There's Heath doing what headstands the panda? What was the panda one that... Yeah, there, yeah. There's lots of seal. <laughs> you got to make the noise during seal. But come and join us. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's online. They're live, so that it's interactive. Like it's camera on. Or if you've got like screaming kids and you're hiding under your desk at work, you can have your camera off. But you know, it's camera on if you can, and it's it's an interactive. You know, it's a live class, uh, and with with us with with our trainers, and uh, you get to hang out with the folks. It's 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 ridiculously inexpensive. It's not a lock in contract. You just come. You do a few classes. If you don't like you like it, you bugger off. But you know, if you like it and you like hanging out and you want to be part of the gang, come do a masterclass with us. All right. So before the break, we talked about core strengthening and its relationship with athletic performance, which is pretty marginal. Um, and in fact, athletes are probably getting plenty of core strengthening just by doing the regular old athletic training and their gym training that they're probably doing. Um, and then we said that there is one of these elephants is not a real elephant at the start of the show. And, uh, and I, I'm waiting with bated breath, as I'm sure are all our listeners. <laughs> um, and it's the one about muscle imbalances. Oh. Um, so, uh, but there's kind of a twist on it. So... Uh, when, you know, if you're, if you're a Pilates instructor and you hear the term muscle imbalances, what you probably think of is, uh, you know, left versus right imbalances or, um, I think, I think a lot of the time Pilates instructors think cross slings, you know, the, the whole, no. What do you mean by cross slings? Uh, basically if, if. You know, you've got more of a kyphosis. All right, so your pecs are too tight and your rhomboids are too weak or whatever. That's what I hear all the time still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what what the literature shows is that there is a relationship between um, muscle imbalances at a joint, and particularly the shoulder joint when we talk about – but it's not the ones you think. It's the relationship between the concentric – internal rotation strength of the shoulder you know so think about a a baseball pitcher right as they throw as they pitch they're rotating their shoulder into internal rotation right and then after they release the ball they have to decelerate their arm right so they move from using their their internal rotators concentrically right to accelerate the arm right now they're using their external rotators eccentrically to decelerate the arm right and so uh, typically what we see is that uh, pitchers, throwing athletes, have very strong internal rotators, right? Because that's that's where they produce their power, right? Yeah. That's how they and, – and these guys can and girls can rotate their, their shoulder like at 9,000 degrees per second. Wow. Right? A full circle is 360 degrees and they can do shoulder internal rotation during a baseball pitch at 9,000 degrees per – like just ridiculous. Ridiculous speed. Incredible. They produce incredible force, yeah. right? And so they've got incredibly strong internal rotation on their shoulder. But then, of course, it's moving at 9,000 degrees per second. They've got to slow that baby down and stop it. Right. <laughs> so they've got to decelerate it with their external rotators. And what we find is because they're constantly working on this internal rotation, you know, as part of their sport, that they're just about universally, they have stronger in concentric internal rotation than they do eccentric 
external rotation. So there's generally an imbalance there in, in favor of that the internal rotators are stronger. Um, and that that is a, you know, a bigger difference there is associated with more shoulder injuries later in the season. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it's quite a specific imbalance, right? <laughs> wow, okay. But it's a real thing. Right. And so if you were working with throwing athletes, um, I would, you know, you could measure their internal rotation concentric strength, right, and their external rotation eccentric strength, okay, and, you know, using the same weight or flex band or whatever, dynamometer, and then just, you know, what's the difference between the two? And then you would want to try and strengthen their eccentric external rotators. You know, it's so basically strengthen rotator cuff, yep. right, but eccentrically, lengthening contraction. Um, and that, you know, should be effective in preventing injuries. Okay. And could you give our listeners some examples of Pilates-specific exercises or, or exercises that could be done in the yeah, Pilates totally. setting that so, would do that? Yeah, so we're just talking about shoulder internal rotation, right? So basically if you bring your arm up to 90 degrees, so your elbows at the, the height of your shoulder into abduction, arm out to the side, okay? And then if you bring your uh, rotate your arm so that your fist is pointing at the sky, that's external rotation. You rotate your arm so your fist is pointing forward, that's internal rotation, okay? And so what we want to do is work the external rotators but in internal rotation. So we want to work them eccentrically, right? So what you would do is you would start in this, you know, this position with your elbow by your shoulder and your fist pointing at the sky. So that's in external rotation. And you would kneel on the reformer, say on uh, one spring, okay, facing the pulleys. Right, okay, okay? yeah. And you hold a strap in that hand, uh -huh. okay? Now the strap is pulling you into internal rotation. Yes. Right? And you are decelerating that. So you're letting it pull you, but you're not letting it just fling you. You're controlling gotcha. that you're decelerating it. Right? Mm -hmm. And so that's working your eccentric external rotation mm. strength. Right? Cool. Yeah. And so things like draw the sword and stuff basically include that, you know, you know, there's an external and then there's an internal rotation yeah. component. Right? But the thing is, we, it's, we want to focus on the internal rotation component and and we're always stronger in the eccentric movement. So if if the if you're doing the draw the sword movement, right? If you won't be able, like you'll only be able to do it on a half spring or a one spring, right? So for those that don't know what enough. draw the sword is, because um, our cohort would know that more as uh, side arms kneeling pulling. Um, so you're kneeling on the carriage one hand uh, in the strap, and you're pulling that strap across the body, extending the arm up. Yeah, it's part of the sidearm series. Sidearm series. With the draw a sword then, you kind of bring it with control back across the body. With the more original OG repertoire of Joseph, it was Bent more – elbow out, it's, straight arm in. It's, well, I kind of call it air guitar, mm. I, the imagery of air guitar, because you pull it across, it's a bigger circular movement, mm. which I particularly love. So yeah, so just just to give context to those who are hearing this draw a sword exercise, and you could do similar on the mat using power bands. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, but the the thing is that because just because of the way muscle architecture works, in any muscle, it you can lower more than you can lift, right? So if I said to you pick up that 100-kilo yeah, 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 stone yeah. and put it on the table, right? <laughs> That's much harder than picking up the 100-kilo stone off the table and putting it on the floor. Right. 
right? And that's the same for any, you know, for any muscle in your body. It's, I feel it's easy like to I would just away. nudge it off the table and let it drop. That's how I would problem solve that. Right? But even if you were to, even if you were to, <laughs> to lower it with way. control, yeah, right, it's easier to lower it than it is to lift it, mm-hmm. right? And that's the, the same for it. You know, it's easier to, you know, on the down phase of a bicep curl, it's easier than on the up phase, and that's yeah. the same for any muscle in your body, right? It's mm-hmm. always easier to lower it than to lift it, which means that to challenge it on the lowering phase, right, you've got to have more resistance than you do to challenge it on a raising face, right? So if there's an exercise like draw the sword, mm-hmm. right, where you're raising it, mm. right, well, that's going to be heavy enough that you get a good workout on the raising phase, but it's going to be too light on the lowering phase. And and generally that kind of exercise is done on around about half a spring. Right. So what I'm suggesting is to work this eccentric strength, what you would do is bump up the springs to maybe one or even one and a half, okay? You would use two hands on the concentric, ah. okay, then let go and use that one arm to control the eccentric, the lowering phase, right? Yeah, right. So that's the way I'd approach it. Mm, it's very cool. Yeah. Um, and so there are a couple of other relationships between uh, measures of, you know, muscle imbalance, you know, and injuries and stuff. Um, and there is the relationship, there is a relationship between um, hip in the hips, hip adduction and internal rotation uh, when people land, um, like, you know, on from a jump or whatever, mm-hmm. um, is correlated, particularly in females. Um, it's not the core per se, but it's it's kind of, it is correlated with higher incidence of knee injuries. Um, so that is something that you could, you know, work on. Um, so repeat it again. It's, it's So when you land like on it from a jump, yeah. basically, if your knee goes in, basically. Okay. Um, that's, so valgus? Yeah, valgus, knee valgus, internal rotation adduction. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, and what should be what what should we be working on with our uh, with our well, client there? You can practice jumping and landing without your knee going in. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other thing is you can strengthen the abductors of the hip, you know, so it's uh-huh. like uh, side splits on a heavy spring. I was going to say side former. splits, yeah. heavy spring, yeah, no brainer. Side leg that's, an, that's an easy one. With an ankle weight, whatever. Gotcha. Um, and also um, uh, for hamstring injuries, which are the most common injury amongst runners, uh-huh. um, eccentric strengthening of the hamstrings is just like a magic pill. It basically reduces hamstring injuries by like 65%. So I'm envisioning something like um, light spring, laying supine on the reformer, which is on your back, heels on the foot bar, lift your butt up. Press the carriage in, yeah. out and in. Yeah. yeah. Or they push the carriage out, lift one leg off the bar, yeah. do pulses. And yeah. back back to my fitball class, which seriously, <laughs> you feel You could do it on a fitball too. You could do it on a fitball. It's actually killer on the fitball because you got it's like doing it with no springs on a reformer, basically. Mm. If you want to you feel your hamstrings cramp in two seconds, mm. do it on a fitball. Mm. It's awesome. But the thing is like on the, on that shoulder bridge exercise on the, on the reformer and also on a fitball and also on a foam roller – Typically, when people get the crampies on the, the when they're pulling the yeah. feet right into the butt, hell yeah! But in like to really um, you know, strengthen the hamstrings at long range because typically hamstring tears occur at when the hamstrings are at full extension, right? right? So you want to strengthen probably at end range, not at inner range for the hamstrings. So probably the 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 bit where you straighten your leg is more important than the bit where you're pulling it right into your butt. And I would even go further and say probably a something like a front split on a light spring, right, where you're working the front leg hamstrings at 
end range, like it's stretching and it's challenging the strength, right? That's probably the ideal exercise for uh, hamstring injury prevention, in my view. Cool. And I'm, I'm. That's a freaking tough exercise, though. Like if we're talking about clients not falling off carriages and whatnot. Well, you can hold their hand or give them a okay. Stick with a rubber foot on the end or whatever, because the balance aspect is not going to prevent hamstring injuries. Yeah, it's the loading the hamstring. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you probably do the same thing on a lunge or whatever. Cool. Yeah. So, um, so can you help people prevent injuries, athletic injuries and platys? Yeah, I reckon you can. Um, work on the balance between their internal and external rotation strength. Uh, work on the hip abduction and probably adduction strength as well to prevent groin injuries. We could throw that in. Side split, side spring. That's the one. Um, and also uh, hamstring strengthening, particularly at long range hamstring strengthening. But mm. when we say strengthening, we don't mean activation. We mean like, fuck, that's hard strengthening. Like really, <laughs> you know, strengthen. Yeah. You know, not just like lie there and think about your hamstrings. You know? <laughs> please activate. Please activate. Please activate. Please activate. Come put them, on. Let's put some load through those suckers. <laughs> I love it. Mm. So maybe Pilates, not so bad after all. Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, all right. So Pilates for athletes. Can you improve athletic performance with Pilates? Probably not really because it doesn't make sense that you can get better at moving heavy things really fast by moving light things really slowly. It just mm. doesn't. And physiologically – Principle of specificity, what we know about motor unit recruitment, Heinemann size principle is just, sorry, not a thing. Um, is is Pilates really effective for strengthening the core? Yeah, but probably a heavy back squats are better. Um, and stir the pot. Don't forget stir the pot. Um, now, that's not to say Pilates can't do it. Pilates is freaking awesome as well. But it's like if your truly number one goal was just to get the most load through your abs and you didn't care how you did it, you just wanted to have the most effective way, you'd probably do back squats. Or get yourself a Fitball. Yeah. $20 from... Do you know what I mean? Like most people can have a Fitball at home. Get yourself a Fitball. And uh, does core strengthening improve athletic performance marginally? Probably not worth the time you spend on it. You're probably better to spend that time doing more athletic things like practicing running or swimming or throwing or doing whatever it is that you do in your sport. And muscle imbalances, do they correlate with injury? Yeah, some of them do. Um, and but not the typical ones that you think about. Maybe the upper cross, lower cross, the muscle slings, whatever. It's more like specific to a joint. So people have weak hamstrings relative to their quadriceps; they're more likely to get injured in the hamstring. People who have weak external rotators compared to their internal rotators in the shoulder are more likely to get a rotator cuff tear. Um, people who have weak hip ab- abductors and adductors are more likely to get a hip or knee injury. Mm. So um, strengthen up those suckers. Awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. Good talk. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. 
this program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.